You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert highway for our God. In the name of God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You can have a seat. Good morning, Rez. Happy second week of Advent, of purple. Such a good celebration. It's such a good season. This last um, decade, my family have been preparing for babies to come into our house. This last 10 years of our life has been dedicated for getting ready for babies to come into our home. We're currently planning for our sixth. We're keeping it going, Michelle. Isn't this great? So naturally, um, Michelle does her thing. They call it nesting, where they do this thing women who are preparing to have a baby, they prepare their home. They, they buy things and organize things and like prepare for another human to come. It makes a lot of sense. Michelle does this really, really well. She buys like tiny clothes and makes sure we have a crib and like all the tiny little diapers. It's pretty cute. The tiny little shoes that are totally useless. You can put on a keychain, but they're cute. And so we buy them. Blankets. But, but a lot of people don't know that, that husbands also nest we do our own thing. We got stuff to nest about. I've been um, seeing the need recently to re-alphabetize my, my library. I've got some ideas of how I should reorganize my books. Um, I, I have this need when I see Michelle sometimes to look busy too, just to just do something, Sean. You know, I've been thinking about reorganizing maybe the garage, kind of straightening up that stuff. Maybe, maybe. Don't hold me to it. I've got this backyard, this backyard tree fort that's been sitting there for... I don't even want to admit how long. It's embarrassing that I'm going to finish maybe one of these days. All these things that come to mind, and we, we want to straighten up our lives. We want to kind of prepare, nest for this child. Who knows what I'll accomplish before this baby gets here. But every baby we've had, um, there's the, this innate desire in us to make a space for a child in our house. It's, it's, it's almost like anticipating the celebration that's to come. We're excited. It's not like the other kind of chores uh, that are just, it seems like for no good reason other than for having things clean, um, which is, I guess, a good reason. But it's like a different kind of thing when a baby's coming that we have this desire within us to prepare a space in almost this celebratory kind of way. Some preparations are more helpful than others. Like Mich- what Michelle does actually accomplishes things as whereas I do things that, I don't know, I feel good about them. Some of it's busy work, but some of it makes actually a real difference for this child to come. I want to ask us this. What is the work of preparation in Advent for the coming Christ child? What is the real work? What's the work that when we put our hand to it actually makes a difference, that prepares a space for this baby that's coming into our life? Is there anything we can really do to prepare for the coming Christ child. Some of us might, need, might say under our breath, hearing me, how can we prepare for God, saying, God isn't really coming. <laughs> My life is proof of that. Some of you may be tempted to say under your breath. Still others, it, for others, it feels like Jesus can't come quick enough. And we hold out hope. Well, wherever you are this morning, and I know some of, we're all in one of those places. Wherever you are this morning, we all share the thing we have in common is we all share this pause that Advent gives to us, this moment before the party, this moment before the child comes, this pause, wondering how can we make a space for this child? How can we make straight 
our paths for him to come to us. Like John says, that highway, that expressway, cutting straight through the hearts of our lives. What can we do? Now, this doesn't make a great Christmas card, so bear with me on this. But of all the things that we could be doing in Advent, there's one thing that Scripture tells us that John makes really clear to us. Repent. Confess. Admit the wrongdoings of your lives. That doesn't make a great Christmas card, does it? Can you imagine getting a Christmas card that said repent across it in like kind of that like festive uh, red scribbly font? It wouldn't happen, no. But John calls to us from the wilderness, repent. You wanna know how to prepare, repent. Turn away from the evil that you've been using or co-opted into, the habits that you have and confess your sins. Not make banners, not make signs, not decorate the house, not prepare a huge holiday party, not televise the thing that's coming. Are you sure repent is the right move here, Sean? Not max out our credit cards, not drink a little bit too much. None of that do we hear from the prophet's mouth. What we hear is just repent, confess. Christmas has come to mean a lot of things in our, in our world, in our culture. It's come to mean a great deal of things. But Advent, when we place Advent before Christmas where it should be, Advent gives us a chance to regain perspective of what, what is actually coming. And in fact, even better, who is actually coming. And when we get in perspective who it is that's coming, something like repent and confess, which can feel like, like a buzzkill, like, oh, geez, that's terrible. What a, what a downer, Sean. When you know who is coming, repent and confess actually makes way more sense. Listen to John in verse seven. The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the one who comes. So naturally, in response to this message, the one who is worthy to baptize us in the Holy Spirit, he's the one who's coming. As a response to this, people came in droves out to the wilderness to repent and confess there's something about knowing who it is that's coming, having this anticipation of who it is the Messiah actually is, this good and worthy king who is kind, who loves, who administers justice. Can you imagine a Messiah that's coming like that? Well, naturally, these people heard this and they thought, we've got to repent, we've got to confess. And this was John's entire mission, his entire ministry was to prepare these people to welcome the one who forgives sins so readily. Can you imagine if the one who is to come would hold your sins over your head and say, no, you're not good enough? Repent and confess would take a whole different kind of meaning, wouldn't it? But imagine, just pause for a second. Cue up all of the horrible things you've ever done in your life, the things you would just die if someone found out about. Now imagine there is one who comes to forgive that. Imagine, isn't that, that's a gift, isn't it? Can you imagine a king who comes to so readily forgive, who has not only the will, but has actually made a way to forgive that sin really? Well, naturally, to prepare to receive that gift, people would repent. 
They would speak out these things. They would confess them. They would admit. This is the ministry of John. The early church father, oh, poor guy. The early church father, John Chrysostom, he writes that John persuaded the people to repent of their sins, listen to this, so that they might more, later, they might more easily receive pardon through believing in Christ. For without repentance, they would not seek forgiveness. John the Baptist, he is preparing us to receive the one who will put all of our wrongdoings, all of our evil deeds, all of those secrets, to put those away once and for all. The one comes who will replace our heart of stone with a heart of flesh. We can begin to live and breathe again. Who will take away our spirit of death and baptize us with his holy and life-giving spirit. This is the one who comes in Christmas. So the, the question of Advent really then becomes, how do we prepare for the one who forgives sin and brings us to life? How do we prepare? Well, it's actually not so like hyper-spiritual and I don't know, like you have to be all churchy to do this. It's super simple. It's actually so simple that most of us are uncomfortable with it. It's really, really practical. How do you prepare for the one who's coming to forgive your sin? You repent, you confess. It's, an, it's a concrete action that you and I can do even today. Man, that seems too easy, doesn't it? Well, it sounds easy, but it's so hard, isn't it? And Rez, when we know who's coming, we can face this idea of confession and repentance, not with fear, but with a great deal of anticipation, of hope, knowing that Jesus is actually able to forgive our sins and speak words of comfort to us. In our reading this morning, we see that people were actually responding to this. People were actually going out, way out of the way, into the wilderness to meet this guy, John, and they began to confess sins. And by the way, this guy was like homeless, wore a camel's hair, and ate wild honey, okay? Yelling out and out of the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord. They responded to his voice, this prophet, by coming out and confessing sins out loud. Can you imagine having the guts to speak out those things? Speaking them out loud has this, this strange effect that materializes the thing, that actually brings it into reality and doesn't allow it to hide anymore. That's why it's so, that's why it matters for us when we actually confess our sins together on our knees this morning like we do. Just like it matters when we stand and confess our faith in the words of the creed, that it matters that when you become a follower of Jesus that you confess with your mouth, that actually matters. When you love someone, it's not good enough to keep it to yourself, is it? No. It becomes real when you go and face this person, your high school sweetheart, and say, I love you. Whew. Takes me back, Michelle. It matters. I should. And it, and it, doesn't, ma it, doesn't, it doesn't count if you just have it in your head. You never tell me you love me. It matters to us that people tell us these things, right? The physical voice actually matters. We are embodied beings, and our faith, our response to God is always going to be embodied. There's always going to be some sign of our embodied faith in God. Genuine, like actual heartfelt confession and repentance is way more involved. Listen to me, church, because I think we've been fooled by this. I have grown up. Confession and repentance is way more involved than a mental note with God. 
Oh, God, you know that thing. Yeah, we're good, right? It's way more evolved than that. Why is that? Bonhoeffer, in that great work, Life Together, he talks about spoken confession and why it matters. He says, sin wants to be alone with people. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. In confession, the light of the gospel breaks into the darkness and closed isolation of the heart. But God breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. Since the confession of sin is made in the presence of another Christian, the last stronghold of self-justification is abandoned. Sin that has been spoken and confessed has lost all of its power. Yikes. So it makes sense that in scripture, when James writes to us and commends to us that we should confess our sins to one another. Do you all know that reference in James 5? Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. It's in the Bible, people. Jesus himself, this is really interesting. Jesus himself gave this special ministry to his apostles in John chapter 20, verses 21 through 23, breathing the Holy Spirit on his apostles. Check this out. Jesus says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. How incredible that the forgiveness of sins from Jesus, the only one who can forgive sins, is made available to us. That cross, the effect of the cross is made available to us through his apostles in real life, in front of us in an embodied way. This is the ministry of the apostles or what we call bishops. That's incredible that the forgiveness of sins is made available to us in that way. But this really shouldn't surprise us. I know for the Baptists in the room, we're like, ah, this is like heading off into the woods. I don't know about this. Well, it's in the Bible, so you gotta deal with that. I don't know what to do with that. But this shouldn't really surprise us though, folks. And it's not just, I pick on the Baptists. But look, we are all like, Gnostic, disembodied spiritualities hidden within us, don't take it out into public, has nothing to do with the real world kind of people. In some way, we all participate in that. And that is actually a heresy and it's been dealt with. So like, repent people, let's be Christians. But this really shouldn't surprise us. And I mean that with all love, but I'm gonna move on. This shouldn't surprise us because Jesus always gives the work of his cross to us in some sign. He doesn't just make it like intellectual assent, just for smart people, no. Jesus always gives to us the work of his cross in a sign, something physical that we can receive and interact with. These are called sacraments. He commands us, in fact, for, for instance, to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Oh, that makes us uncomfortable that like matter is involved in our repentance, in our baptism, and to take and eat the Holy Eucharist that we might share in communion with him. Look, I didn't... This isn't like an Anglican thing. This is Jesus saying, do these things, commanding us, be baptized, take, eat. Even his church, you, Rez, think about this, are the physical sign and instrument of God's reconciling work in the world. How would people know if there were no Christian churches, physical communities, places of the worshiping church? It should really be no shock to us then that Jesus gives the ministry of the forgiveness of sins to his apostles, who in then turn give it throughout history to their disciples, entrusting this power, this authority 
the keys of the kingdom that Jesus gave to Peter, entrusting them to exercise the power of real absolution and forgiveness. How incredible is that? The apostles have, in turn, given this ministry through the laying on of hands to priests. That's kind of mind-blowing. As an extension of the Lord's authority to forgive, to loose the bonds in the name of Christ. I know I'm sensitive to this. I know that for many of us, this is like a brand new concept. You've never heard this before. I get that. Even if Christians have been doing this Throughout history, from the beginning, all over the world, still doing it right now. For a lot of us, this is, a, uh, this is a brand new concept. Most of us haven't even heard of this. A lot of us haven't. I remember for the first time when I went, I stumbled into a Catholic church at lunchtime. I was in downtown uh, working IT, and I'd cross the street to this beautiful cathedral, and I snuck in. The Catholics didn't see me. They would welcome me. But I snuck in, and I got in line for confession. And there's this little wooden booth with a red light. I didn't know what in the world I was doing, but I was like, well, why not? This would be so good, right? Maybe I'm weird. Maybe none of you would ever do this, but I was like super curious. I remember going into there and confessing, sitting down. The priest, I knew the priest knew that I didn't know what I was doing because you're supposed to like say certain things and I was totally lost. (laughs) But once he cued me up and said, you know, let it rip. Sean, what do you got? I started confessing sin. And you know what happened? The craziest thing happened. The first sin, it was an easy one. I'm like, well, I did this. I had this bad thought. And then that sin was attached to this whole string of other sins in my heart that I began just, I felt like I was like vomiting up just this stuff that I'd kept dormant in my life, hidden, like Bonhoeffer had said, to myself. And once he opened the seal, all of it came out. It was liberating. It was terrifying and liberating all at once, actually. And that wasn't even the best part. Can you imagine laying out all of that stuff, your junk, in front of a human being that the church has entrusted with this incredible authority to forgive sin, this incredible gift, this incredible ministry? Can you imagine laying it all out before this person who is hearing it with their ears and on behalf of Jesus and his church says to you, you are forgiven? It's, it's crazy. It's I don't know what the word is for it. It is amazing. What a wonder it is. I can tell you what it did for me. Walking out of that confessional booth, I was hooked. I was like, I'm doing this all the time. This is amazing to actually taste, to experience the grace of God set on my soul. It was so wonderful. He told me, go and sit in the front row and and, um, pray some Hail Marys and pray some Our Fathers and all that. And I was like, Typically, it'd be like, oh, we got to pray a whole bunch of prayers 10 times or whatever. I was so happy to do that. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to double that, and I'm going to go sit in the front row, and I'm going to pray these things like I've never prayed them before. How liberating this was. This is church, why it is so important for us, whether in front of a priest or not, to confess sin regularly, for it to be a habit of ours, to admit those faults in daily prayer. Even if you pray the daily office, it's written on the page for you. It'll lead you right through it. To confess together in the liturgy that we do on Sunday, and you'll see it in just a minute when we all get on our knees together. It's so important that we do that. And then sometimes to seek out confession, private confession with a priest like myself or Father Perry. It is so powerful, so effective way of God's grace and forgiveness being given to us. In so many ways, I, I think for confession and absolution may be more powerful than like nuclear material in our world. Can you imagine if 
confession and absolution became a thing, a common thing in our world today, what kind of world we might be living in if people were more ready to forgive and to admit. We can see why such a powerful thing actually should be entrusted to people who will handle it with care and to give absolution when absolution is appropriate and to actually withhold it when people aren't remorseful and they plan on doing it again. We can see the power of this and you can also see why Jesus would give this not to just anyone, but to his apostles. Take care of this. This is the keys of the kingdom, the forgiveness of sins. This is, if you think about it, this is the power that Jesus won for us on the cross that he makes available to us through these entrusted apostles, his priests, and even other Christians. So Rez, I want to commend to you the gift of confession with a priest. I know that we haven't quite talked about this before, and if you hang in there in our catechism class, we're going to go right into it, and you'll, we'll be able to chat and debate and talk about it all day long. Uh, but I want to commend to you this as a, as a way of in Advent preparing ourselves for the coming king. Repent in daily prayer. Confess in the liturgy. And if you need to, Father Perry and I are totally available for you to have private confession. We will offer um, at 8.30 before the service every Sunday. We are here and we can uh, step aside into a corner and we'll hear your confession. And what's really wonderful, just for some of you who have never even like, looked at this or thought about this, never even done it, um, you can look on the Book of Common Prayer on page 447. There's the, the liturgy of confession. It's super simple. Um, if you're curious, you can take a look at that. But I also want to tell you that for Anglicans, for us, confession is not something that we use to like, make you feel guilty. It's actually confession is a, is a ministry. And so it's like spiritual direction. It's pastoring. So we can like, talk with you about the thing you're working on and we can give you some help, give you some advice, pray for you, give you some support. And at the same time, you will never ever be in a conversation that is more confidential than the one that you have with a priest in confession. Not even the law can break this. I can't even bring it up to you if you brought it up again in a different confession time. That's how sealed the confessional booth is. And we have also have this wonderful knack as priests, we pray for God's mercy, that I know that maybe confessing those deep, dark secrets to someone and then seeing them at church again might be awkward, but we've actually asked for God's mercy, and Father Perry and I, um, we, you would be surprised. We do this all the time, and we're used to that. And you guys are not all that special. You think all your sins are the worst. <laughs> but they're not. And believe it or not, I at least am gifted with like a really horrible memory. And that's really helpful for this. But whatever stands in your way, whatever excuse or thing you have in your head that might keep you from that, I want to encourage you. Um, the confessional in the church is a trustworthy thing. And you're invited to receive this ministry that God has given to you through his priests. Of all the confessions I've heard, there's nothing new if you think, well, I've got, I got one for you, Sean. No, it's not new. And I think you all think you're the worst, but you're all really the same. We're all sinners. We're all really broken people. And we need to hear the words of forgiveness from the Lord. You'd be surprised that instead of words of condemnation and confession, we actually come in contact with the gospel. It's really amazing. To really put ourselves out there and then to hear the words of Jesus, you are forgiven. In fact, I'm reconciling you to myself even now. That's the gospel that the cross applies to even your sinful lives. Really, in every confession moment, we find a small advent moment where we prepare our lives for the coming king. We put ourselves open 
to the, the king that is coming with hope, knowing that Jesus comes and he comes quickly and he comes with power. And we await in that confession moment his words of pardon that also come. Your sins are forgiven. Res, this is a really concrete way for us to prepare in Advent, to take confession and repentance freshly and seriously this season, knowing that there is one who comes to forgive all our sins. Isn't that good news? Amen. Amen. Let's take a moment just to allow the Holy Spirit to continue to speak to us and invite us as we prepare to stand and confess our faith and come to the table. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.